You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And the Rookie of the Year Awards, the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Awards, have been announced. We're going to talk quite a bit about that. The winners, Kyle Lewis and Devin Williams. We're going to talk to the scouts who signed each of this year's winners. We'll also take a look ahead at uh, some of the early favorites for the 2021 Rookie of the Year Awards. And uh, in a nod to Alex Trebek, who recently passed away, we are going to play some uh, Jeopardy, some Rookie of the Year Jeopardy. And we're going to wrap up by answering your mailbag questions. Guys, Rookie of the Year winners. Uh, Not no real surprises, I would say, but uh, certainly in the National League, things were very interesting. Uh, We did a ranking uh, at the end of the season. We ranked uh, the rookies, the top 25, I believe. And in doing so, kind of chose our Rookie of the Year award winners. And we had more or less, uh, we were more or less in agreement with how the voting panned out. Uh, I, we ranked Cronenworth uh, ahead of Devin Williams, but I know that was a, that was a very tough decision and, and the voting was, was uh, pretty tight even within our little group. But uh, what'd you think of how the, how the voting uh, shook out there? You know, I, I think that uh, I wouldn't have had any problem with you know any of the guys that we had considered at the at the top winning uh, in 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 the National League. Um, you know, it, I think what it came down to was sort of the guy who kind of even though Cronenworth you know, faded a little bit down the stretch, played every day and was kind of a consistent presence and a huge lift for for you know for the Padres in making the playoffs. With the guy who was clearly the most dominant reliever in in baseball this year but with not a huge sample you know not a ton of innings um you know and and wasn't even you know the the closer for his team uh is you know so in terms of trying to figure out who you know who voters were going to vote for uh you know that was that was the one thing that sort of came into consideration you know i, I wouldn't have been upset if cronin with it won but i think devin williams was certainly a a worthy recipient to the national league award, uh, just because of how, I mean, he was un- unhittable all season long for, for the brewers. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the national league vote was kind of, you know, and it, and it was close, you know, there were three guys and it was just kind of, you know, what your personal taste is. You have, you have Williams who, you know, didn't pitch a ton of innings as a reliever, but was unhittable for those innings. You have Cronenworth who was a very solid everyday player, for the, pretty much the whole season for the Padres, although he tailed off in September. And then you have Alec Bohm, who, who kind of came up in the middle of the season and was really good offensively and kind of a liability defensively at third base. So I, I think you can make a case for any of those three guys. And in the American League, after we spent the, the first half of the season really talking about Kyle Lewis versus Luis Robert, Luis Robert versus Kyle Lewis, Luis Robert really slumped terribly in September. And I, I don't, I guess I hadn't really thought it was going to be unanimous. Um, in the American League guys, but um, I guess looking at it, it it was kind of an easy decision. I think. I mean, I I wasn't going in saying okay, he's going to get all the votes, 
but it kind of makes sense that he does because I, I think he did have a clearly superior season to any rookie in the American League. Yeah, I would agree with that. With those, I you know, I the two cents in on the American League. Uh, you know, he had he had kind of run away with it uh, for the reasons that that Jim laid out there. Uh, so, it, you know. I could have seen someone else getting us, you know, a, one of those sort of stray first, uh, first ballot uh, picks, but or votes. But you know, it, it made sense that he was the runaway winner for for me, while the National League was much closer. So in the National League, Devin Williams got uh, ninety five points, followed by Bohm and Cronenworth, who tied at seventy four, and then Tony Gonsolin, who had eleven points, uh, followed by Dustin May, Brian Hayes at eight points and five points respectively, and then a point each for a third place vote each for uh, Andres Jimenez, Sixto Sanchez, and Ian Anderson. Guys, in our final rankings, we had Cronenworth, Williams, Gonsolin, Hayes, Bohm, Anderson, May. Um, so I guess we were, we were a little higher on on Gonsolin than, uh, than those who actually voted this year. And Baseball America picked Gonsolin as their overall MLB Rookie of the Year, too. Um, so... Yeah, I just think it was more wide open. I mean, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, Williams won, but there were three of the thirty voters didn't even vote for him. You know, eight guys didn't vote for Bohm, um, four guys didn't vote for Cronenworth. Um, you know, I think there were, you know, I think all those guys were valid choices. I mean, Ian Anderson, six to Sanchez didn't pick a whole play a whole season, but they were very good when they did. You know, Cabrian Hayes didn't either, and I think in some measures had more WAR than any National League rookie. So I thought it was just a really deep group in the national league. And like I said before, I think it's kind of, you know, whatever you think your, you know, your personal taste, you, you you could pick, you know, four or five different guys in the national league. And in the American league, the voting broke down like this, Kyle Lewis, the unanimous winner, 150, Lewis Robert, 83, Christian Javier finished third with 11, Sean Murphy with seven, uh, as well as Willie Castro with seven, James Karen check five, Jared Walsh four. And then, uh, one point each for Ryan Mountcastle, Brady Singer, and Jesus Luzardo. In our final rankings, uh, we had Lewis Robert 1-2. Uh, we had Willie Castro next, followed by Mountcastle <clears throat> and Murphy, uh, then Javier. And we had Trist- Tristan McKenzie, someone who didn't receive a vote at all, um, ahead of Walsh, Karinczak, Dunning, Dahlbeck. And then we did, and then next was a Rosarino. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, not that I thought he was going to win, that McKenzie didn't receive a vote. I mean, everybody voted Lewis 1, 2730 voters voted Lewis Robert 2, um, and, and he, Robert was on all but one ballot. So pretty much, you know, the same two guys were on almost every ballot, and then you're picking a third guy. But I, I'm kind of surprised McKenzie didn't sneak in there and get a vote or two. Yeah, and he, I mean, it, it was not like he threw 12 innings. You know, he no. made, what, six starts, eight appearances. So, uh, you know, a number of these guys, uh, you know, we'll get a chance to consider for, for rookie of the year next year. Um, and maybe that impacted some of them, uh, you know, although that, you know, that didn't stop people from, from voting say for Cabrian Hayes in the, in the national league. Uh, but I wonder if with McKenzie that that's what ended up figuring into, especially as you pointed out, you know, almost everyone's ballot had two spots filled already. All right. Well, Jim and Jonathan uh, spoke to each of the scouts who signed this year's Rookie of the Year Award winners. And when we come back, we will talk to Mariner scout John Wiedenbauer, who is responsible for signing Kyle Lewis. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. 
Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Fly ball, deep right center field, and Loriano's going to watch it get out. Home run, Kyle Lewis, two-run shot. Here's a high fly ball, deep left field. It's going to giddy up and get out of here. Home run for Kyle Lewis. 4-1 Seattle for Kyle. Home run number 11, RBI number 28. Swing and a high fly ball, deep left center field. On the run to the winning track. Kyle Lewis near the wall, leaps up, and he makes the catch. Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis over the wall and left center brings it back. It's an honor and a privilege to present the 2020 Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Award in the American League to Kyle Lewis. Welcome to the club, Kyle. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Nice. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline here with John Wiedenbauer, a scout with the Seattle Mariners, who uh, big night uh, just a couple minutes ago before we started this interview. One of the players John signed, uh, Kyle Lewis, was named unanimous American League Rookie of the Year. So congratulations on that, John. And how, from a scout's perspective, how were there any nerves on your part? I mean, how much were you anticipating this and how much were you were you looking forward to seeing the outcome of this race? Yeah, I, w- I would say I, I was definitely nervous. Um, you know, I kind of get butterflies going just just sitting down rooting for them, you know, and um but uh, no, it was uh, it was it was special. It was a special year. It was fun to watch. Got a little taste of it last year when he got called up in September. Um, he got off to a hot start there, but it was fun to see it play out this year and um, have so much success. I'm glad he, uh, you know, he got rewarded for it. Well, before we get into the, the scouting, Kyle Lewis, I just want to ask you about your career briefly. I know you pitched at, at Tampa, a Division Two power. Um, spent a couple years in the Angels system. How did you get into scouting? Because I think you finished playing 2011 and began scouting in 2014. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually went to spring training in, in uh, 2012 with the Angels and then left after that. But um, when I got done, I, I came back home and I, I started doing some some baseball lessons back home for a little while and kind of got to the point where I, I kind of felt like it wasn't necessarily a career path for me. And um, my dad, who works with the, the Cleveland Indians, um, brought up the idea of the scout school. So I, I got the opportunity to go out to scout school in Arizona. And um, from there, I was actually uh, set up with some interviews at the winter meetings in, uh, I think it was in Orlando that year. 
And uh, Tampa Bay actually hired me as a part-time scout that year, uh, which uh, that would have been 2014, the year 2014. And uh, scouted part-time in in Florida 2014, and then Seattle hired me um, for the 2015 season. So you would not have seen Kyle in high school because that would have been 2013 would have been a senior. I know from talking to area scouts that he was on the radar. You know, he was an interesting guy, but I think he was kind of raw, you know, which is perhaps why he wound up at Mercer and not at a, you know, a a major program. You know, he was, you know, guys were interested in him, but he wasn't a guy you were necessarily going to draft out of high school. When did you first see him? Did you see him during his sophomore year or when did you first run into him? So my first year with Seattle, I was actually in uh, Texas. So I didn't see him until actually his junior year of college. So his big year. Um, Everything I had kind of heard from the guys in the area was, you know, he he was playing a lot of first base in high school. And it was kind of a, you know, kind of a a good body type player that that had some, you know, some athleticism. He was a basketball player as well. Just kind of, you know, an athlete that was that was kind of interesting and see what happens. And his freshman year wasn't really anything impressive at Mercer. It was his sophomore year. He really took off, um, and and he was getting getting a lot of a lot of attention after his sophomore year, and especially a good year in the Cape. And then um, the first time I actually ever saw him, I met him um, when we did our our home visit, and uh, got to meet him and his his parents and his brother, and um, really impressed with him. Just just overall, just his his just everything about him, the way he went about speaking to me, is you know. The way he talked, everything was very impressive. Um, and then getting to see him play, he was just it seemed like every game I was going to, he was doing something that, that impacted the game. So, well, he wound up being, I think, Southern Conference Player of the Year the year before, you know, as a sophomore before you saw him. And he had a great cape, which I think kind of answered some questions. Okay, is he just being up on, on mid major, smaller school competition? And then he came back and had a big junior year. I, I want to say, I don't think he wound up leading the NCAA and homers and batting, but he was in the running for a while. He, he had a really terrific year. You know, from a scouting standpoint, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, he was a name. You brought guys into cross-check. Was it a case where you had to, you know, pound your, your fist on the literal or figurative table? Like, I really want this guy, or was the organization all kind of on board with him? Did you, did you think you were going to have a chance to get him at number 11? Because I, I know I, I at the time – I thought he was – to me, I would have taken him with the number one overall pick in the draft. I'm not a scout. I don't, I don't have to pay the bonuses. But I thought he was the best player in the draft. I loved him. Did you think you had a shot at him at number 11? Um, I guess it depends on, on what time of the year you asked me that question. Uh, you know, going, going into the spring, it was, it, was a, it was a conversation, you know, and I think it was – we definitely had interest at that time. And then as the – the draft got closer, it seemed less likely that we were going to have a chance at him. And it kind of draft night, um, I, I didn't really, I didn't really think we had a chance. I mean, I thought I didn't think he was going to get to 11 and then, you know, some, some things just kind of fell in place for it to happen. And um, talk about getting nervous. That was <laughs> a couple of picks leading up to that one. I was, I was pretty nervous, but um, that was exciting. I, I was, I was, I was surprised he got to us. Yeah, but it was uh, a very pleasant surprise, to say the least. When did you find out you were going to get him if he was there at 11? Now, did, did the Mariners have their scouts in the draft room? Or are you home? What was it like on draft? I was at home that year. Um, yeah. I, was, I was at home, and I was, I was communicating with, with some of our guys, mostly my cross-checker um, at the time. And it was kind of the draft had started, and the first couple of picks had gone by. And, you know, I wasn't sure where he fell. I, I was kind of with you. You know, I thought there was the opportunity of him going 1-1, you know, and – 
in somewhere, you know, in the first five or so picks. And when it didn't happen, I was kind of, kind of looked at my wife, like, okay, what's going on right now? <laughs> and then, and then, you know, started communicating with those guys a little bit and then, uh, and then it just kind of worked out. So. I think most fans know now, you know, as he's become a prominent big leaguer and rookie of the year, you know, he, he came in a pro ball and got off to a great start. And then he had a, a really serious knee injury at the end of that first summer that set him back for a couple of years. And, and one of the role, I mean, obviously your primary role as a scout is to identify talent and find talent, but also once you sign a player in a lot of ways, you're kind of like his consigliere a little bit too, like his, you know, like a friendly voice in the organization. You're not on the development side saying, Hey, you got to do this or do that. When he got hurt, did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? What happened at that point? Yeah, I, I reached out to him shortly after. I think I gave him maybe a couple of days just to kind of, you know, it's it's a it's a life changing injury, you know, and it's uh, you know, and I, I kind of felt for him. And, and Ray, Ray, when it initially happened, we weren't sure, um, I guess what kind of what the severity of it was. So a couple of days later, we finally found out, and um, you know, it was it was really unfortunate. It was it was kind of that you know that sinking feeling, that pit in your stomach a little bit. But um, knowing him as a person. I, I felt pretty good about, you know, the process he was going to go through. And the the good thing was shortly after the surgery, they, they already had him in, you know, doing whatever exercises he could. Um, and there were some videos I think he posted on Instagram or whatever, but I reached out to him, just kind of, you know, told him, you know, how, how I felt bad for him, whatever, but he was, he, he didn't take it as a negative. He was like, Hey man, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a little step back, but I'm only going to come back from a stronger. And I was, I was just impressed. And it was, he, he never ceases to amaze me with a lot of things that he's talked about. So it's, uh, you know, I was, I, I wasn't surprised, but uh, he, that, that he came back as, as well as he did, but um, it was still, it was good to see, I guess. And, you know, and it, for the first couple of years back in 17, 18, he played, but he, he played about half seasons. I think he missed some time. He didn't look quite like the same guy who was a first round pick. And, and even last year, you know, Arkansas is a tough place to hit where he, where he was in double A and he didn't have a great year. Um, I think his road numbers were significantly better than his home numbers. He got the September call up. And all of a sudden, he's hitting home runs everywhere. I mean, you know, and I, I don't have your – was he your first big leaguer? Yes. Yep. Okay, so, I mean, how how exciting is it? I mean, you know, he's first-round pick, obviously. But you get your first big leaguer, and he's hitting home runs, and you know what he's been through and what he had to come back from. And he had success pretty much right off the bat. That would that, be a pretty great feeling to watch all that. Yeah, yeah. He hit home runs, I think, in the first three games or, or something like that. It was – um you know, it was, it was great to see. And, um, you know, you never know how he's going to go out and perform, but he always seemed like that type of player that liked the limelight, you know, he likes to be on the big stage and, and it didn't surprise me once again, that, you know, he went out and he performed um, and he did well, you know, and, and even through bumps in the road, he's done, he's done really well. And I, I've been, I've been, you know, really happy for him and everything he's done, but um, it was, uh, it's been a good journey and I hope it keeps going. Yeah. I was going to say, um, one of the things that impressed me this year about him was you know, even when he hit the home runs last year and got off the hot start this year, he was striking out. The strikeout rate was pretty high. So you wondered, okay, is that going to come back and bite him? But he adjusted over the course of the year. I mean, he had some ups and downs, but he, he started controlling the strike zone a lot better. You know, he, I don't, well, I'll ask you in a second, but like, I know my reports I had on him when he was in college was he's probably right fielder. I had him as an average runner. And he's playing a great center field in the big leagues. Do you remember or, you know, if you, if you can exactly how you graded him out in college and has he, I mean, offensively, I think he's kind of what, what people thought he would be, mm-hmm. but I didn't see him as a center fielder, let alone a good center fielder. I mean, what did you project him as? 
Right. So, so I, I, I kept them in center field. I was giving them, you know, the benefit of the doubt there, but it was a conversation, you know, realistically, if he could stay in center field versus, you know, if he was going to end up growing off of, off of center field, cause he was still a pre- pretty projectable body at the time. You know, there was still some, some lean muscle there that you were thinking he, he could put on more, um, some, some more weight there and maybe it might affect his speed or something like that. Um, and then, you know, once the injury happened, it was, okay, is that, is that just the, you know, the nail in the coffin to move him off of center field and to a corner? Um, that was probably the, probably most of the, the most impressive thing this year was how, how well he worked on his athleticism and his speed and, and the things he's doing in the outfield. I mean, uh, once again, that stuff that he was doing at Mercer, I mean, he was, he was robbing home runs at Mercer. I think the first game I saw was against university of Georgia and he, he robbed the home run and he, you know, he was making plays like that. And I was like, you know, wow. And then I just wasn't sure he was going to get those opportunities with, you know, with everything that happened in the knee and, and just kind of, kind of where he was at, but he, you know, it doesn't look like there's been any problems with the knee and it's, it's, that's been fun to watch as well. Well, I mean, he just won the award, I think 10 minutes ago or 15 minutes ago at this point. When was the last time you talked to Kyle? Did you have, you had a chance to talk to him since the season ended? Yeah. So I, uh, I reached out to him probably about a week ago. Um, Cause there's been a couple other uh, rookie of the year awards that he's won and just kind of passed along, you know, my, my congratulations to him and that the other impressive thing, you know, no matter what stage he's on, he's always gotten back to me. He's always talked to me, you know, I'll, I'll always reach out to him when I go over to Mercer, take a picture of his little golden spikes picture on the wall, <laughs> and, you know, tell him he cleans up well or something. But uh, no, I, uh, he's still, I mean, he, he's, he's super humbled. It's, he's, he's one of the best people that I could have, I could have ended up, you know, getting to be my first big leader. So I'm, I'm honored in that, in that sense. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, and I mean, it, and he's going to go on to bigger and better things too. I have to ask you one more question. You probably don't know this, but I'm a University of Georgia grad, and this I did year, know that. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that because we've drafted University of Georgia players the last three years. Like, okay, like, well, I was going to say you had well, every year. So who am I skipping? Who'd you guys draft before you got Emerson Hancock at six this year? I was going to ask you about Emerson Hancock and get another first rounder. So 2019, we took Tim Elliott in the fourth round, right? And then uh, 2018, we took uh, Keegan McGovern in the right. ninth round, I think it was. Like a senior sign. Tim Elliott almost mm-hmm. saved our season in 2019. He came through big yeah. in the, uh, in the right, region. Right. But I just want to ask you a little bit about Emerson Hancock. Again, I don't know if coming into the year you would have thought you would have got him at number six, but how excited were you to get uh, Emerson Hancock at number six and, and give us a quick scouting report on him? Because I can, I can yeah. get enough Georgia info. Sure, sure. Emerson was another one that was um, – you know, just getting to know the the player. And, and for him, it was a little different because I knew him in high school. I scouted him in high school, and he was a pretty well-known prospect in high school. Um, maybe didn't do some of the summer circuit events like like some of the, the well-known prospects, but he was, he was a well-known name going in. So I got to know him a little bit. And another great kid, comes from a great family. Um, and then he went to Georgia. And, and I think mixed reviews his freshman year, um, but to be expected, some, some bumps in the road. But his sophomore year, once again, just took off. I mean, it was – really impressive stuff and um, some of the best stuff that, that I've seen, you know, from a, from a starting pitcher in my area that I've had, you know, and that's six years now. So, um, you know, it's a big fastball. He likes to challenge guys with this fastball, the off speed. He's got, he throws two different breaking balls. Um, slider probably fits his arm slot a little bit better. Um, but the, the changeup is also another weapon for him. And he's been a guy that just attacks the zone. Everything works well. It's a good body, still projection left on it. He's put a lot of good muscle on himself, even from high school. So um, just a, a tremendous kid. He's going to, he's going to work really hard and, 
and hopefully in a couple of years we're having the same conversation about him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Maybe in a couple of years you'll have another uh, another rookie right. of the year. Well, John, I really appreciate your time. Congratulations again. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Your first big leaguer winds up winning rookie of the year, and uh, you know, wish you continued. You wish you and Kyle continued success, and really appreciate you you joining us. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks very much to John Wiedenbauer for joining us. And Jim, one thing that struck me in listening to that interview and also in, in watching uh, the award show last night was uh, just the, like the pure joy of uh, Kyle Lewis when he won. And you could kind of feel that excitement uh, through John Wiedenbauer as well. And Wiedenbauer talked quite a bit about just how impressive of a person that Kyle Lewis was when he first met him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in, in almost every case, too, when you're taking you like a guy enough to take him in the first round, you're liking the total package, not just the, the, the tools, but the but the person as well. And, and, you know, from what John was saying, you know, the, the first time he met you, know, he was kind of late to Georgia. He got Georgia as an area in, in Kyle Lewis's draft year. So he didn't have history with him in high school or his first couple of years at Mercer. But the first time he met him, he was just very impressed with how Kyle handled himself and handled the in-home meeting. Um, and, and he thought that that was, even though, you know, you, you didn't want to see him get hurt like he did in his, his pro debut that, that really set him back for, for almost two years, John was fairly confident just knowing Kyle and the kind of person he was and, and just how he responded when he contacted him, even after he first got hurt, that, that Kyle was going to be able to battle back from it, which he, which he obviously did. All right. You're listening to the MLB pipeline podcast. We're going to take a break when we come back. We'll talk to Harvey Keene Jr., who signed Devin Williams for the Brewers. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. The payoff pitch. Fastball strike three call. Four strikeouts out of the bullpen for Devin Williams. The one-two. He strikes out Moustakas, and Devin Williams strikes out the side. Two-two pitch. Struck him out. Merrifield has struck out three times. And for Devin Williams, he's got four punch outs. It is my honor to announce that the National League Rookie of the Year for 2020, Devin Williams, is our National <laughs> League Rookie of the Year. Thank you. Johnny thank Bench, you. thank you so much. There you have your 2020 uh, NL Rookie of the Year, Devin Williams. Happy to have joining us right now, Harvey Keene Jr., former scout with the Milwaukee Brewers. And Harvey, obviously wanted to talk to you first and foremost, uh, because it, you were the guy who helped draft and sign Devin Williams, the 2020 National League Rookie of the Year. So 
first of all, I know there, there's some pride that scouts take when anything like this happens, when a guy gets to the big leagues, uh, when they achieve anything. So, you know, just take a minute to talk about, you know, the, the sort of the joy that you felt in seeing Devin, you know, get this, this rookie of the year award. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a great honor for him. I think that, uh, if you go, if you go through, uh, Devin's career, um, he, uh, when he had Tommy John surgery, I, I was actually lucky enough to be in spring training, if you want to call it lucky. But uh, I was in spring training uh, the day that they announced they had to do Tommy John with him, and, and he was really down in the dumps, you know. And we talked, you know, for a while, and obviously I gave him words of encouragement. But to see his hard work and perseverance pay off the way it's paid off, it's just – it's. It's a credit to Devin, and, and it, it's a credit. It's a credit to the whole organization, really. You know, uh, right down from uh, Bruce Side, who unfortunately is not with us anymore. Uh, uh, Bruce saw Devin, I think, probably one of his last starts, and and he, he threw a heck of a game. And um, Jim Rooney uh, also was our pitching um, cross checker at the time, and. Uh, and Jim loved De- Devin, and, and um, it was just uh, Joe Ferrone was my supervisor, and uh, it, it's just it's a credit to the whole organization, all the pitching coaches, all the way up, and and obviously, uh, for my money, the biggest credit should go to Devin just because of what he all had to go through to get here, and 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 uh, and yeah, you know, as a as an area scout, uh, it's it's a great honor for to Devin. It's a great honor for me. And, and, uh, and I say that humbly because I know how hard it is to play the game. And uh, these guys make the game look so easy. It's just unbelievable. But when you play the game and, and you know how hard it is to play it, to, the, to see the success that he had this, this year is just, you know, it's a great story. I want to get into that story a little bit because, as, you, as you've mentioned, it, it was not the most uh... – straight path to, to, the, to the big leagues, as is often the case. Let's go back to when you saw him in, in high school. Give us what you like your original scouting report uh, was <laughs> of, of Devin Williams. Back then, I'm, I'm going to guess he probably weighed about 145 pounds soaking wet, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, just tell us what you saw in him that you know, made you turn him into the Brewers to the extent that they, you know, were willing to, to use a second-round pick on him. Yeah, actually, I, the first day I saw Devin, well, I saw Devin work out um, in the um, in the spring uh, indoors, and then the first game actually got rained out, and so I stayed there. I stayed actually to see his first start, which had been pushed back a couple of days. And uh, well, I mean, he, I guess he was throwing. I'd say ninety-five. He had he had a good changeup. Uh, I'm sure that my report probably didn't reflect as good of the changeup as he has now. I know I gave him a 60 changeup, which is a plus changeup and a plus fastball. But uh, right now, I guess you could probably say his changeup might be an 80. So, I mean, I saw, you know, I saw, I used, I, like you say, he's probably 160 pounds, 6'3", and he, he had a good loose arm and a quick arm. And I, I saw the velocity. I saw the changeup. I saw the... I think I saw the drive in him uh, when I interviewed him in an indoor facility with him and his mom. I, I, I asked him a few questions, and I, quite honestly, I walked out of that interview going, I think I probably called Joe Ferrone and, and Bruce that night and said, man, this guy's, 
this guy's got so much drive, you can't even believe it, you know. And, and um, he was impressive to me. And he's an impressive kid, and he's a great kid, and he's a hard worker, that's for sure. Well, that uh, the sort of resilience that you saw uh, came in handy, as you hinted. You know, he had Tommy John surgery. Uh, there were some ups and downs, you know, in terms of performance. Um, I, I remember going to Brewers spring training a few times, and I felt like every year for a number of years, he was the guy that the player development staff was like, you know, keep an eye on him. He's, he's about ready to break out. And then it, he, didn't, he didn't quite get there, I guess, until last year. I mean, 2019 is probably when it, it kind of started really clicking for him. How often did you stay in touch with him? I guess this speaks to, as an area scout in general, uh, you, know, you were saying you happened to be in spring training when he got hurt, so you were able to talk to him. But I know a lot of times, you know, it's not you draft a guy, you say goodbye to him, and you never – talk to him or see him again you know there there there's a relationship that's often uh, that's often built so can you talk a little bit about you know your rapport with Devin how often the two of you spoke you know right and continue to speak over the years oh yeah I mean we speak I, I probably text him at on Thanksgiving and Christmas and and uh we talk quite a bit when you got to the big leagues last year I was fortunate enough to 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 be down at the ballpark and we talked I don't know we talked probably you know, I was down there maybe three days uh, when he was up last year. And um, I, it's, I think with all the guys you sign as a scout, you, you, they're like, you're like they're, you're, your kids, you know, you, you, you keep track of them, you watch every start, you, you know, um, or relief outing, you know. And, and so with Devin, uh, you know, I think we have a great relationship. I texted him after he was named National Reliever of the Year and, course i texted him again last night to congratulate him but uh i was also fortunate enough that that uh he played in appleton which is about an hour and a half from my house uh, uh one of the years that he was in the minor leagues so i would go up there you know uh i would go up to appleton and i would take him for lunch or or take him for dinner you know and uh um he's just you know he's He's just got a great personality. You know, he's a guy that's just – it's fun to be around him and, and uh, uh, got a lot of respect for him, you know, and especially, again, what, what, he had to, what he had to go through. You know, it's just unbelievable. But, yeah, he's, you know, he's uh, – I call him a good friend. He's, we have a good relationship. You know, Harvey, you've been around the game long enough to know that, uh, you know, sometimes you see a guy in thick starter all the way, he ends up in the bullpen or, or, or vice versa. And you talked about his, his loose arm action, sort of clean delivery. Obviously, you don't know when an injury is going to happen, but was there any reliever risk in your mind when you, you, know, when, when you were scouting him? Or did you think this guy, you know, is going to develop into to a start, knowing that obviously things can change? But when, when you saw him back then, I would imagine you saw a future starter all the way. Yeah, I th I saw him. I thought of him as a starter all the way, and and I think that, you know, things happen in, in the minor leagues, and and things happen all the way around in baseball. That's just the way baseball is. But I saw him pitch. I don't know how many. I bet I saw him three or four starts in the minor leagues, and and I saw him as a starter, and and I think that was the best thing for Devin was to start in the minor leagues so that he could get innings. You know, obviously he came back after Tommy John and. And they put him in the bullpen, which for his career has been, you know, fabulous, you know. Uh, but I thought when I when I saw him in the minor leagues, you know, whatever it was, four or five years ago, him just getting the innings in and learning to, 
you know, manipulate his fastball around the zone was the best thing for him was to get innings in as a starter in, in the minor leagues. You know, one of the other guys that you drafted and and signed uh, was Jake Odorizzi, um, also a, a high school right-hander, um, you know, so clearly you, you, you know a little bit about prep pitching. Um, but, uh, you know, what – obviously very different kinds of pitchers and, 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 and Jake has gone on to be a, a big league starter. Is there more, you know, pressure in terms of the expectations? Like when you get a first rounder who signed and, and, you know, Jake was taken at the back end of the first round. So there wasn't really that much separating where he went and where, where Devin went, but is there a certain pressure and expectations that like if you get a first rounder signed, oh, he better make it as opposed to even a second rounder where maybe there aren't as many expectations. And even if they're, you know, the expectations you put on, on yourself to get it right. Well, in my opinion, they were, they were both first rounders and I had them both in the first round. So fair enough. We were, we were fortunate to get Devin uh, at pick 54 that year, in my opinion, uh, very fortunate. And, and, of course, with Jake, he was picked 32. And, um, and again, you know, it was – Jack Sorensic was the scouting director. I think Jack had seen Jake twice. And uh, uh, Ray Montgomery had saw him. And um, some other guys in the organization obviously saw him. Again, it's, it's not just always me, you know, or the area scout in, in these two situations. But it was, it was, again, it was kind of a – same thing. It was an organizational – pick I think you know and of course sure I, I I pushed for Jake as hard as I could you know and yeah I think that uh, Jake was the kind of guy that that um, I always thought Jake had an edge to him you know and um, um, obviously a great pitcher but I remember I remember being in instructional league after Jake's first year um, and first full season I should say and he was not in a very good mood because he had got set to extended and then, and then the pioneer league. And so I, I took, actually, I took him and another guy, Cody Scarpetta out for dinner one night and, and uh, Jake expressed to me how ticked off he was. I don't think he was real happy with me. <laughs> and I, honestly, I, I, when I left that dinner that night, I went, you know what? He's going to pitch in the big leagues for a long time. Cause I could just see the edge in him. And I could see that he wanted, you know, he wanted, he wanted to be in a full season. He wanted to be on a full season team and he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to be the guy. And uh, um, again, he's another guy that's a great, just a great, great kid, you know, and I saw him, uh, I saw him last year when the twins were in town uh, um, and spoke with him probably for about a half an hour. And again, he's, he's another great kid and another, you know, you, when you talk about makeup with both these guys, Devin and, and Jake, for me, it's off off the charts for both of them. Yeah, two more quick ones about Devin. You know, we keep talking about the makeup, and clearly because it you know it took him a while to get there. That, you know that they came important. But you, you mentioned that you put him in this first round, or so. You know, the first round goes by, and the Brewers don't take him. Are you are you you know pounding on the table? Are you in your scouting director's ear? You know, saying you got to you got to take him. You got to like you said. Obviously, there's only so much pressure an area scout can put on him. But you know. Once once the first round goes by and he's still there, how how loud are you getting in terms of saying don't don't let him go by you in the second round? Yeah, I guess. And I was in the draft room that year, and, and uh, uh, 
Bruce kept looking at me, you know, and I'm not, that's not my personality to jump up on the table or, or whatever. It's just, that's not me. But Bruce kept looking at me going, geez, Devin, Devin might get to us. I mean, you know, Bruce loved Devin, you know, and, 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 and uh, Bruce kept looking at me and, and you think he's going to get to us? You know, I mean, he, we were kind of on pins and needles and, and I believe if you go back and you look, pick, pick 52, Dev, uh, Devin was pick 54. If you go back and look, pick 52, uh, Williams came off the board. And the first name mentioned was Williams. And I, we all, you know, we all, you got to be kidding me. You know, we went all this way hoping we'd get Devin. And it was a different Williams. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks took another Williams pick 52. Justin so, Williams. Yeah, we were on pins and needles. No, no question about it. But when he got to us at 52, I, I, I think that we were all um, – um, Elated, I guess would be the right word. And there was, I don't think there was much hesitation with Bruce, you know, Bruce, you know, Bruce, Bruce, uh, he, he, he was jumping up and down. He was, he was the happiest guy in the room, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was, it's, you're on pins and needles for sure. You know, cause you gotta, let's face it, you know, you gotta be somewhat lucky to, to get guys in the first round or second round or, or any round really, you know, you, all it takes is one other team to, to take him before you. And, and so you gotta, you, you gotta be somewhat lucky and, but, but you also got to put them in the right spot, you know? And uh, again, I, heck, I thought they were both first rounders. I, I was re- very happy to get Devin in the second round because I thought it was a first round talent. Right. All right. Before I let you go, Harvey, I, we, we've touched on the change up. I got to ask just one question about it because obviously, you know, that pitch this year was maybe one of the most ridiculous secondary pitches anyone's ever seen you you said you know you had turned it in as a as a 60 at what point you know did you see him and maybe it was in the big leagues this year that you're like whoa what happened with that you know was there a point in time where like clearly he he changed something to to turn it from and there's nothing wrong with a 60 changeup you're going to pitch in the big leagues with a 60 changeup but, you know, if there's a 90, I might put a 90 on what he did with that pitch, at least, in, you know, for, for this year. When did you, from like a, with a scouting eye, say, wow, that's gone to a whole nother plane that I didn't even know existed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think last year when he got came up to the big leagues and I had seen some video of him in the minor leagues, actually, and, and it was like, whoa, you know, I mean, it was like. I guess I was a little light on that changeup. It's at least a 70 now. <laughs> and then when I seen him this year, uh, when I seen him this year, I was going, well, I guess that that's, that, that's, that's an 80, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. That's uh, I don't know if there's a better pitch from anybody out there. Not that I've seen everybody, but I, I thought, well, in my mind, that's an 80. And, and I, and I think not only that, but you know, he, he throws 96, 97, 98 in that range, you know, or maybe even touches a hundred at times and his fastballs, his fastball, it looks like it gets on hitters too. And then he comes with this change up and it's, it's the confidence I think too, that I saw in Devin this year, the confidence that he used that changeup in any count, uh, back to back to back to back. You know, I mean, he just he had he has developed such a great uh, confidence in that pitch that it's um, it's great to see. You know, and it again, it's heck, it's it's a credit to Devin. I, I'd have to say I was light on the changeup, giving it a six. <laughs> yeah, if, if that's not an eighty, 
pitch, then there's no such thing as an 80 pitch. Yeah, no um, doubt about it. No doubt about it. So it's a, it's a credit to Devin, and it's a credit, like I say, I you got to give uh, you know Chris Hook, and 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 I think Chris Hook has had Devin for a long time, and you got to give all those all his pitching coaches a lot of credit, and and for my money, the most most credit goes to Devin. Absolutely. All right, Harvey, this has been a real treat for me. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and uh, hopefully our paths will cross again soon. Sounds great, Jonathan. Thank you very much. All right. And our thanks to Harvey Keen Jr. for joining us and uh, talking a little bit about Devin Williams, a guy who Jonathan really, you know, took a while. He fell off the, the prospect radar for a while there, took him a long time to get to the big leagues. And then just great to see that when he finally did it, put it all together. And of course, utilizing uh, that incredible changeup. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting uh, hearing Harvey talk about how, you know, he always had a really good changeup, uh, but not that good. Um, and, uh, you know, scouts, especially been doing a while, are not quick to hang an 80 on the scouting scale. Um, but, you know, as we just heard, you know, Harvey said, well, that, that's an 80 changeup. He had it as a 60 changeup, as he said. Um, but yeah, just the, the perseverance that he showed coming back from, from Tommy John surgery, the move to bullpen obviously has, has really, really paid off. Um, but I love, you know, talking to the, the scouts and when they have such belief in a player, you know, Keen saying that he, he had him in as a first rounder, uh, and then them making sure, uh, that, you know, that they didn't get past him in the second round, you know, then, Scouting director Bruce Side, uh, who, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, uh, loved Devin Williams as well as Harvey said. And so, when when they didn't take him in the first round, uh, th- there clearly was some confidence that they would take him in the second round if he was still there. And, and, and luckily enough, uh, he was. All right, guys. So this year's Rookie of the Year award winners. I don't think going into this season, uh, a whole lot of people would have uh, pegged them as uh, favorites. Let's look ahead at 2021 now. Who are the favorites? Obviously, we're a long way away, but who are the favorites in your eyes uh, to be candidates for the 2021 awards? I know, Jim, you wrote a story back in September, which was kind of a look ahead at rookie of the year candidates, but you were looking specifically at guys who were rookies this year and still maintain their rookie of the year uh, eligibility for next year, their rookie eligibility for next year. Uh, kind of curious how much that might have changed since you've written that. Um, the way it broke down then in the National League, you had Kibrian Hayes, Ian Anderson, Sixto Sanchez, Dylan Carlson, and Joey Bart, uh, one through five there. And in the American League, Ryan Mountcastle, Tristan McKenzie, Bobby Dahlbeck, Nick Madrigal, and Dane Dunning. And I think in the American League, we know that uh, – <laughs> Why isn't Randy Rosarena on there? Come on, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would think, I mean, based on the the, the postseason, and, and actually his regular season was pretty good, if not lengthy. I mean, Randy Rosarena has got to be your your favorite in the American League, doesn't he? I would, I would think. think so. I mean, I don't know who, you know, if you're going to pick a favorite, as Jason pointed out, you know, who your favorite is, how many times does he turn out to be, you know, um, I love, I love it, by the way, you're like, eh, you know, his regular season was okay. He had an OPS over a thousand during the regular season. I know it was only 64 at bats, but still he had seven homers and 64 at bats. So he has set the bar very, very high. Uh, and so, yes, I think he would be considered the, the front runner going into, uh, 
into 2021, which makes me want to go find someone else to pick that we're not thinking of. You know, like Ryan Mountcastle is going to end up hitting 30 homers for the Orioles. And he yeah, you know, and when we did the story, I mean, granted, we were focusing on guys on the top 100, which which Randy was on the top 100, and at the time, I mean, you weren't sure he was. You know, I mean, he wasn't playing regularly. He was, you know, kind of a semi-regular for the Rays. But I, I, I do like Mountcastle just in that, you know, I, I don't see the Orioles contending. You know, he, he looked good this year. There's absolutely no reason he won't be playing every day and batting in the middle of the Orioles lineup. So, yeah, I, I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to put, you know, like he doesn't have to worry if he gets off to a slow start that he's going to get benched because they're trying to win. Like if you looked at, say, Nick Madrigal, for instance, of the White Sox, or Bobby Dahlbeck with the Red Sox, who are going to you know expect to bounce back next year. If those guys struggle, those teams are trying to win. They aren't going to get at bats. I, I don't see any way, barring injury, that Ryan Mountcastle doesn't get 500 at bats next year. One name that uh, was not in that story, but Jim, when we were prepping for the podcast today, a name that you did throw out um, that I'm curious about is Nate Pearson. Yeah, and we talked. We actually talked about it on the podcast at the time. Um, you know, we only went five deep. The, 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 the gist of this story was <laughs> that the rookie rules suddenly changed on the last you know day of the regular season, um, where they were going to count September service time, and so a bunch of guys graduated off our lists, and so we were spotlighting guys on the top 100 who still qualified. And you know, a I, my personal bias is towards hitters. I think it's easier. You know, Devin Williams notwithstanding, it's easier to win a rookie of the year award as a hitter, um, and if you go with pitchers you want to go with pitchers on contending teams. Now I, I do think the blue Jays will contend next year, but my pitchers I had on the, my, my five guys in American league were Tristan McKenzie. And I went with Dane Dunning. And I even mentioned in Dane Dunning's write up that I took Dunning over Mize and Pearson because I thought he adapted to the big leagues more easily in his first taste of the majors than Mize and Dunning did. And he was going to have a chance at more success on a better team. So that's what, that's why I didn't include Nate Pearson. I think prior to this year, of the previous 10 Rookie of the Year award winners, uh, nine of them had been hitters. Uh, over on the National League side, guys, I think that uh, you both have Cabrian Hayes as the, the leading candidate there. Um, but you know, Ian Anderson, extremely impressive in the postseason. Uh, Sixto Sanchez uh, showed flashes of brilliance. This season, Dylan Carlson came on very strong at the end of the season. Joey Bart, um, would you both take Cabrian Hayes there? I know, Jonathan, you said something to the effect of it's Cabrian Hayes and Cabrian Hayes. <laughs> Playing the homer card. Uh, I mean, it, he would be, you know, again, the, for me, the the, the front runner. Uh, but I also, because it's in my own market, watched him a lot and, you know, He's so impressive on both sides of the ball. Uh, the fact that the power showed up um, more than I think anticipated. Um, you know, I think that uh, he, he has to be right at the front. But all those guys that you mentioned are are certainly, you know, guys that should be at the, at the front of the conversation in terms of that group that came up this year. Um, you know, then there's a guy like Christian Pache who you know barely played, but I think he'll probably start getting a regular opportunity next year. Although he may fit into that same category that Jim was talking about, like like uh, Nick Madrigal with the White Sox, the Braves ex- expect to compete. So you know, if he struggles uh, or they have you know a, a, another option, he he may not get the immediate opportunity to, 
to put him right in the in the rookie of the year mix. But that was another name of a guy who touched the big leagues this year, but not a lot who certainly could figure into the mix next year. And Cabrian is so good defensively too. And and I did look this up. You know, even though he only played 24 games, both Baseball Reference and Fangraphs, who have different ways of calculating WAR, had him had him leading all National League rookies in WAR. So it, it, it's possible Cabrian Hayes, and I don't know if it's ever happened before, could be the rare player to lead his league's rookies in WAR in back-to-back years. So I, I, I mean. You know, there, there's some good depth. There's a lot of candidates, but I, but I do think he's kind of the obvious favorite. I think we have an obvious favorite in both leagues right now. Well, Jim, for twenty five thousand dollars, would you would you take the field against Gabriel Hayes? Yeah, I, I I mean, I think you'd have to play the odds. Sure. All right. All right. I take the field. I take the field against Randy Rosarena as well. I'm going to put you guys on the spot a little bit here because every player that we've talked about in this uh, segment looking ahead to 2021 rookie of the year candidates is someone who has already reached the big leagues. Is there anyone that we, that we have not yet seen in the big leagues that uh, you think could make, make a run next year? How about Wander sure. Franco or Adley Rutschman or Mackenzie Gore? How about Mackenzie Gore, uh, Royce Lewis, Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. I, like, Jared Kelnick. Yeah. Jared Kelnick would be a really good pick. Uh, Torkelson is, you know, Still on the like if he'll be up enough to even if he comes up in the second half, would that be enough? Um, those, yeah, I think those are the you know, those are the guys that right at the top of our top 100 who should figure into the big leagues at some point early enough where they could compete for for the for the hardware. All right, we're going to be we're going to be identifying the leading rookie of the year candidate for each team. Uh, for 2021 in a story that will be up on the site later this week. So keep an eye out for that. All right, guys, talking a lot of rookie of the year this week on the podcast. And uh, of course, uh, as you know, uh, Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, longtime host of Jeopardy, passed away uh, this week, uh, just within the past few days. And kind of as a, as a nod to uh, Alex Trebek, we are going to play this is Pipeline Jeopardy. Uh, quick explanation of how this will work. This is going to be a pared-down version of Jeopardy. We're only going to have three categories. Um, dollar amounts assigned as they were in Jeopardy. 200 400 600 800 and $1,000. Uh, this is all for this is all real money, of course, uh, which hopefully will total up to $25,000. 25000 25 winner, Jim. Um, so are you are you paying are you paying this out of your pocket? Like if I if if I win a thousand and Jonathan wins three thousand, are you paying for all that? Who, who's paying? We'll, for work, we'll work out the details later. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so there are three categories: winners, runners up, and it's unanimous. Now uh, we did not previously determine who was going to go first, so uh, let's have a a coin flip. Jim, you want to call it? Uh, heads. Yeah, it's tails. Jonathan, you will control the board. All right. <laughs> I already forgot how our standards here. Are we buzzing in whenever we want to buzz in or do we have to wait? Buzz for in it? whenever you want. We're not, okay. not waiting until the completion of the question. Okay. I just wanted to double check. I should have paid better attention during the Yes, pre-game. you should have. Sorry about that. Can you take money off of him for not getting that right not, before we start? Jim, $1,000 for There you go. Um, I'm going to need, I, th- I have a feeling I'm going to actually need that. So um, uh, I'm going to start uh, at the top. We'll, we'll take winners for $200. 
1953 American League Rookie of the Year went on to become a 10-time All-Star, but is perhaps more famous for taking his wall bangers to the 1982 Buzz. World. Buzz. Harvey Keene. It is, in fact, Harvey Keene Sr. We should. Uh, Doesn't he have to uh, answer in the form of a question? Who is Harvey Keene? Oh, Jim. Well, we didn't say that beforehand. Uh, it's Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I know. It's Jeopardy. No, come on. The whole point of Jeopardy. We Give didn't. The, we didn't lay that out had, the ground rules. Come only on. rule. <sighs> Ooh, that's debatable. Fine. Give him the two hundred dollars. I'm. I'm. I'm filing a protest. Two hundred. Go ahead, Jim. Okay. Let's just go winners for four hundred dollars. Prior to Shohei Otani and Jordan Alvarez in 2018 and 19, the last time a designated hitter had won Rookie of the Year was 1984 when this Royals rookie hammered Ding. Jonathan. Who, who is Bob Hamlin? Who is Bob the Hammer Hamlin? Did you say 1984? Is that wrong? That, that can't wrong. be right. That's like way too early. That's fine. 90. Wait a second. <laughs> 94. Because I know I was a baseball America when he was rookie of the year, but but that's fine. Typo in the question. Womp womp. It's funny. I didn't even hear the number. I just heard DH, the last DH to win. And and then, yeah. Terrible. All right. So do I still get credit? Yeah, you should get credit for that. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we're going to, I think I'm just going to, we'll go a category at a time here. I don't feel like jumping around. So I'm going to do winners for 600. This American League rookie of the year winner went on to win the National League Cy Young Award five years later in 1984, despite making 15 starts in the American League that year. Buzz. Jim. Who is Rick Sutcliffe? That is correct. Jim, back into the lead. Um, let's just keep going down the board and we'll go winners for 800. 1977 was the last time two future Hall of Famers won the National League and American League Rookie of the Year awards when these two prodigious sluggers took home the hardware. Buzz, I'll guess. Um, who was Eddie Murray, who I'm pretty sure that is correct, and Andre Dawson? Nicely done, Jim. Man. I'm just, it's that, a that's why I was in my baseball card collecting heyday. So. <clears throat> anyway, um, let's go winners for 1,000. The last time, and one of only two times, that there was a tie for a Rookie of the Year award this future gold glove shortstop and 18-year big leaguer who went on to win three World Series titles split the American League vote with Twins infielder John Castino in 1979. Buzz? Jim? Who was Alfredo Griffin? Nicely done. Oh, man. <clears throat> he won three World Series. I did not I'm looking realize. looking forward to taking, <laughs> taking home the home version of the game as my consolation prize. <laughs> Uh, Jim, I, I actually had written in another clue there uh, with the two teams that he had won the World Series with, two with the Blue Jays, one with the Dodgers. And, and did you know that John Castino is a graduate of New Trier High School, which is where all my kids wow. graduate from high school? Did not know that. So um, let's just play the board in order. We'll go runners up for $200. All right, as we start a new category, Jim is up 2,600 to 400 over Jonathan. Runners up for 200. In 1961, Cubs outfielder Billy Williams finished ahead of this future MVP and fellow Hall of Famer who won four World Series titles as a manager. Uh, Buzz. Jim. Joe Torre. That is correct. 
form of a question. Who was Joe Tory? <laughs> Should we start docking Jim when he doesn't? No, I'm just going to tease him. All right. That's, that's really all I have to hang on to at this point. Jim, you can. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm totally losing my mind as to what we're doing here. We'll go runners up for 400, please. In 1961, Red Sox right-hander Don Schwal edged this eight-year big leaguer, better known for leading the Kansas City Royals to their first World Series championship. Buzz. And Jim. Who is Dick Hauser? That is correct. Jim? Uh, I, I don't know why I can't remember to do the next question. We'll do runners up for 600, Jason. In 1992, Pat Listash hit only one home run but stole 54 bases to win the AL Rookie of the Year, while this runner-up hit five homers and stole 66 bags. Buzz. Jim. That was one of my first years playing fantasy baseball, and both these guys were key in the league. Who was Kenny Lofton? Nicely done, Jim. I'm just going to mute myself for the rest of this. <laughs> Jim, you oh, want runners to... up for 800, Jason. I'll, I'll figure this out at some point. I'm sorry. In 1978, Brave slugger Bob Horner edged this future 15-time All-Star and Hall of Famer, who was also a teammate of Horner's in 1988. Buzz, who is Ozzie Smith? That is correct. Horner's final year in the big leagues with the Cardinals in 1988. Um, runners up for 1,000, please. In 1947, Jackie Robinson won Major League Baseball's first ever Rookie of the Year award, which is now named after him, edging out this New York Giants right-hander, who went 21 and 5 with a 3.16 ERA? I have an idea, but I don't want to risk the thousand dollars. Risk the grand, Jim. I'm not going to risk the grand. Dude, you're up by like seven thousand dollars. I'm not going to risk the grand. <laughs> I sure. All right, what was your guess, Jim? I think it's Johnny Antonelli. It was Larry Jansen. Well, I'm glad I didn't guess. I wish you had. <clears throat> Um, we'll go uh, our last category. It's unanimous for $200. The only Rookie of the Year winner ever to post a war of 10 or higher. This three-time American League MVP swept but, the AL vote. Jim. Who was Mike Trout? That is correct. I actually Didn't knew that one. Year. I'm just too slow. Um, it's unanimous for 400 Jason. This future Hall of Famer, 14-time All-Star, Triple Crown winner, two-time World Series winner, and Manager of the Year. Buzz. Jim. Who was Frank Robinson? Received all 24 Rookie of the Year votes in the National League in 1956. Is indeed Frank Robinson. Uh, it's unanimous for 600, please. Despite hitting one home run and batting 267 with a 655 OPS, this speedster was the National League's unanimous MVP in 1985. After Buzz. Jim. Who was Vince Coleman? That is correct. Leading the big leagues in stolen bases with one. I'm going to stop keeping score now. It's, uh, it's unanimous it's for 800, please. The Dodgers have twice had back-to-back -back unanimous Rookie of the Year award winners. Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger in 2016-17, and Mike Piazza and this rocket-armed outfielder in 1993 and 94. Ding. Jonathan. Who is Raul Mondesi? Nicely done. Oh, thank God. You can add to your total here. Final question. It's unanimous for a thousand. You're not going to get this. Despite posting <laughs> a despite posting a zero point zero WAR for the season, the lowest ever for a Rookie of the Year winner, this Cubs infielder came within one vote of being the unanimous National League Rookie of the Year in 1962. 
Oh, Buzz. Jim. Who is Ken Hubbs? Nicely done. What? Is, <laughs> he's, he died in a, I think he died in an airplane crash. He, he died very young. He, he, like he when did, you I, said the year and you said Cubs, I, I knew it was Ken Hubbs. Cubs, Hubbs. He, did, uh, he only played, I think, uh, one season after that. So. I want to complain that, uh, that he was in this category titled It's Unanimous when he was not a unanimous winner. <laughs> That's what threw me off because I was trying to figure when you said 0, 0.0 war, I could not fathom how a 0, 0.0 war got you a unanimous rookie. Right, of the he year. came within one vote of being unanimous. I don't. Who got the other vote? Uh, let's see. Hubs. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't even want to do a final tally, but Don Clinton got the uh, the one other the vote. One other vote. Yeah. Not a great year for National League rookies. Nineteen sixty-two. Well, that was close. All right, so the final tally, Jonathan, you were you were keeping track, right? Yes, Jim uh, finished with sixty eight hundred, and I finished with twelve hundred dollars, and as I said, a lovely version of the home game. All right, guys, that's uh, that does it for our rookie of the year Jeopardy, and uh, we'll be right back after this. All right, so Jim Callis is the victor in our inaugural Pipeline Jeopardy contest. Moving right along, let's wrap up with a mailbag. We have a question from Future Stros, Twitter handle Della Tora. Outfielder Colin Barba apparently impressed enough at the alternative training site over the summer that the Astros invited him to big league training camp next spring, despite not having played above the GCL. Can you give me your impressions of him? And I can actually answer this in the form of an answer after struggling with Jeopardy to answer <laughs> in the form of a question at times. Now. I, I, I now can, uh, I can figure this part out. Yeah, he's, I think he's kind of like maybe the biggest sleeper in the Astros organization. He was a fourth round pick um, two years ago, 2019, out of high school. Um, had one of the better, you know, power and speed combinations in that draft class, but flew under the radar a little bit, signed for an overslot $1 million. You know, obviously with pandemic, he didn't get to play a whole lot. They brought him in late to alternative camp and had him in instructional league. And, you know, besides the tools, I mean, he's, you know, he can run, he's got some developing power, he's advanced for his age, he's got a strong arm, he's got a chance to stick in center field. I mean, the, the tools are all there. I mean, this is a potential 2020 guy. I, I remember when I was working on our prospect list during the coming into the season, last offseason, and they love his makeup. They, they compare his intensity to that of Alex Bregman, who, as we all know, for, you know, we all remember talking to Alex Bregman at the Futures game a few years ago. Alex is a very intense competitor. And and Colin Barber kind of reminds the Astros of Bregman in that way. You know, plus he's got tools. Um, you know, they, he's interesting. I, I would not be surprised if a year from now, once we get back to play minor league games again, if Colin Barber isn't at or near the very top of our, our Astros top 30. And Jonathan, you know, the way we divide up the draft is we divide it up geographically. You know, you have the West, you have California. What do you remember about Colin Barber coming out? Of the yeah, draft? I had to refresh my memory uh, a little bit, but I do remember he kind of, I, I want to say he, he did. I know he made it onto our top 200, like close to the end. And I think he jumped on kind of late um, as a, as a guy, as you said, who flew under the radar. Uh, you, you know, he, he had missed his sophomore year, had a good junior year, uh, and, the, and a strong senior year um, in in California. Uh, 
but it was you know it was a little bit of a of a of a, a late comer onto onto the list when we started hearing his name and it was that the you know the the power and speed you know he showed plus times at showcases and the makeup of something that was brought up by by scouts even back then and um you know, to, then of course he went out and played in the GCL, as you said, and then, then nothing. But I think it speaks to uh, his makeup and you know, and his feel for the game that they even brought him to the alternate site to to begin with. Or you know, a, a teenager who has barely played professional baseball was a fourth round pick to to go to the alternate site. And you know, I feel like we've talked about this a few times, but the benefit for the super young players to be among the, you know all these older guys many of whom had tons of big league experience at the alternate site about how they went about their business and and developed routines and things like that i think is going to serve him very well in the future all right thanks very much to at delatora for that question you can always send in your questions via twitter and we will answer them on the podcast or in our inbox on the website that's going to do it for this week's edition of the mlb pipeline podcast thanks everybody for listening Look for the podcast every week on MLB.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.